Well, I think if you look at the railway sector as such, um, I, I don't think any other sector faces so many external costs directly. So um, to, to be very open, I think we need to discuss um, the framework conditions and we need to create a fair level playing field between different modes of transport. This is On the Right Track, a Florence School of Regulation podcast series dedicated to the European Year of Rail. I am Juan Montero, professor at the Florence School of Regulation Transport Area. In this series, I have the pleasure of speaking to experts across the railway industry on various regulatory topics on the smart and sustainable single European railway area. Hello, everyone. Today we are with Marco Camp, uh, Director of Long Distance Passenger Services in uh, Deutsche Bahn. Uh, we are going to discuss about uh, European Year of Rail, Marco. Um, what is the position in, in, in Deutsche Bahn about the European Year of Rail? What are your expectations? Hello, Juan, and I'm glad to be here today on this show. Well, our expectations are very high because we think the European Year of Rail is really a great opportunity for the whole sector to mark and make its importance known for society in general and Europe. We have been very important historically, and we believe we will also play an important part in the future if we look at the biggest challenge we all face, which is reduce carbon dioxide emissions. Okay, yeah. Um, we are focusing this conversation on, on passenger services. Um, what is Deutsche Bahn actually doing in order to increase ridership, to, uh, to get this model shift from, from air, from road um, to railways? What is Deutsche Bahn doing? We have been um, investing heavily over the last decades in international passenger services. If you look at our success before COVID uh, crisis, we've seen, um, for example, between 2014 and 2019, an increase by more than 20% in passenger numbers. So we've achieved that by really investing in new services um, launching out between different countries We've been the first um, um, railway operating company offering international train services between Munich and Italy under the liberalization directive of the EU. Um, we've also introduced, for example, a um, train between, between three countries, between Frankfurt, um, Switzerland, and Italy, December 2017, which we will also expand in 2026 with new train sets, um, establishing a connection between Hamburg, Frankfurt, um, Switzerland, and Milan. So investment, new services, that, that's a very clear approach. I, I'd like to know, what is your opinion about uh, night train services? I mean, we are getting a lot of news lately about uh, different railway undertakings in Europe launching these services. Um, what, is, what is your position? What do you think about these night train services? Well, I think night trains are a very important addition to international cross-border services. So um, it requires a joint effort to make um, them and turn them into operations. But in all honesty, they will not solve the problem of decarbonization because the number of passengers you're transporting on a night train is significantly lower than what can be transported during the day. So if you want, I, I can make an example. For example, between Frankfurt, yeah. between Frankfurt and Brussels, for example, um, you can take the trip in less than four hours. 
and with one train set you can easily do two rounds so servicing the link four times and with a capacity of 450 people that's a lot of cars and planes we can place now a night train can really only run once during the night and has significantly less capacity so it is important and it forms a valid and good addition to a high-speed network but it will be not be sufficient alone to shift many people to rain well, thank you i think that that's a very clear and important point we've made. Uh, so yeah, you were referring, it, it's about investment, it's about uh, more international services. So that's what you, the companies can do. Um, but in terms of, of policy, I mean, what kind of measures would be necessary for, for this investment that uh, Deutsche Bahn is making to be fruitful and to really increase ridership? Um, what, what are the, the policy measures and, and the, the legal measures that are necessary? So the, um, the targets by the European Commission, for, for example, um, which are confirmed by the Green Deal, um, are very good. And saying with the European Sustainable and Smart Mobility Strategy, doubling by um, the high-speed rail traffic across Europe is a very good target, a target we can very much agree on. But why is it that today international passenger services have still a relatively low market share and I think one has to look very clearly at the framework conditions within Europe. And I believe they, are, they fall into two packets. One is the legal and commercial aspect and the other is the technical aspect. So do you think uh, there are uh, technical obstacles to international services? Um, I, I believe there are quite a few technical aspects. Uh, which are the main challenge for international um, railway passenger services. Um, if you look, for example, um, to other network industries, um, you see they have either capital intensive movable assets like airlines or ships, or they have capital intensive fixed assets like telecoms. But railway has both challenges. So we, we have highly capital intensive movable assets with our train sets and infrastructure is very intensive um, to build and to maintain. So it's even more important in our sector that standards are implemented and that they are really, really working all along the line. If you want, I can give an example comparing that to planes. Yeah, please. <laughs> So if you look, for example, to the airline industry, you have um, a strong competition from the supplier side for planes and standards within all the components. You can maintain your airline basically anywhere on the world. You have a um, homologation, which is worldwide valid. You have the same kerosene on every airport. The common language is English and pilots are qualified for the plane and then they can land on almost any airport few exceptions, but they can. Now, nothing like that in rail. In Europe alone, most parts have the same gauge, but it's not the case. So sometimes you even have different white tracks. We have at least four different current systems, which are difficult for the train sets to handle. There are almost 16 different signaling systems in Europe which are important from a safety point of view to signal the train when it can run and when he has to stop. And the qualification in each country is different and almost um, exclusively valid in the national language. 
and homologation, which is now regulated via the Ford Railway Package, is not has just kicked off last October. So we're still years behind, I think, in terms of standards. Yeah, we have been debating quite a lot in the Florence School of Regulation lately, not only about the standardization of the what we would say the hard infrastructure, railways, the uh, the rolling stock, but also around the uh, what we could call the soft infrastructure. And I think here the uh, the analogy with aviation is very clear. I'm referring to uh, to traffic management, to the allocation of um, track capacity. Uh, if you look to aviation, uh, there is a lot of um, cooperation. You have even uh, euro control. You have an institution to um, manage uh, as a European system all this um, traffic. This is something that is completely missing in, in European railways. Do you think that's that's something that would be helpful for uh, uh, increasing international uh, passenger services? Um, we've, we've set up um, as a sector, as an industry, a, a working system so that all the infrastructure managers in Europe talk to each other. But um, certainly there is, there is room for improvement. There's room for improvement, for example, uh, for the allocation of tracks. There's room for improvement um, if you look at the prioritization of paths, because often there are national legislation which is treated differently in different countries. And in some countries, regional services, for example, have a higher prioritization um, than international long distance passenger services, which makes it more difficult to operate and much more difficult uh, to construct the path in the first place. Um, so um, I, th I think uh, there is really room for improvement in the term of traffic management, yes. Now, well, we've been referring to aviation, uh, and of course, aviation is, uh, is a competitor for railways in international travel. Um, do you think there is a level playing field? I mean, are from a regulatory perspective, do we have the right conditions for railways to compete with, um, with aviation, also with road in international passenger transport? Uh, well, I think if you look at the railway sector as such, um, I, I don't think any other sector faces so many external costs directly. So um, to, to be very open, I think we need to discuss um, framework conditions and we need to create a fair level playing field between different modes of transport. So um, especially um, if we look all at, at the internalization of external costs, um, I just mentioned um, roads, for example, can be used by trucks and cars often for free. Um, if not on motorways, um, then most certainly on second grade routes. But in railways, every kilometer of track is charged to the operator, not all at the same level, but there is no such thing as a track for free. And this is an external cost we really have to face. Second, um, the, the VIT directive, there is an exemption for cross-border um, um, European flights, not so in the railway industry. And um, last but not least, there's also an exemption for kerosene tax uh, in the aviation industry. Um, and, and, and railways are faced with energy taxation depending on the different member states. So I believe there really is room for improvement on the side of a fair level playing field. We have identified quite a few uh, policy measures that are necessary. Um, maybe, I mean, we could prioritize a little bit. Um, also taking into account the um, COVID situation. I mean, if we start short term, for instance, what, what is your 
your view? I mean, what are the more urgent measures short term? Yeah, as you mentioned, the COVID crisis really hit very hard. Um, and it's a bit of a shame that in the European year of rail, we have to face this crisis and we can't really promote international um, travel. We can't really promote something like interrail, which really brings young people um, to um, different countries and connecting Europe better. But on the other hand, it also is a chance for the European Union to grow together and to work. And for that, I think what we really need is a quick and also um, unbureaucratic help um, financially in terms of the Green Deal, which can be implemented to um, get the right measures now on track so that we will be able to be better off after the crisis. Same time, and maybe to introduce a, a, a more optimistic tone, uh, I think there were some interesting experiences around COVID. For instance, uh, the green lanes for freight transport. I think that's something that has worked quite well, and maybe offer some lessons for the future in terms of uh, harmonization and support for um, international services. Um, do you think? Yeah, I think especially in the freight service, it's been it's been very good. Um, talking about passenger services, the my view is that still each member state in Europe um, has its own method and its own mechanism to um, fund passenger services or try to compensate the free market um, railway services. And I think that's a bit difficult because it, um, it really um, makes it hard for international operating services if we still have different schemes in different countries. Yeah, I, I, I fully share this view. Um, we were talking, uh, about the need to, uh, to introduce more harmonization at the technical level. I think really there is also the need to, uh, to introduce more harmonization at the uh, economic um, level, in the sense that uh, we've seen, for instance, we have uh, track access churches that are very divergent in, in the different European countries, despite, yes. despite all the churches are based on the same principles defined in the uh, RECAS directive. Uh, and not only that, in terms of, of costs, but also in terms of revenue, uh, of course, um, uh, public funding in the form of OSPs or different uh, instruments is very relevant in railways. Uh, the average in Europe, if I remember correctly, is 60% of revenue doesn't come from the passengers directly, from, but from the uh, national and, and in general the public budgets. Uh, but again, this is very divergent, and they uh, not only in the amounts, but also in the specific instruments that are used to finance some services. And I think this is a big obstacle for international services. I don't know if, if you see that's a, you know, a short-term objective, or we have more time to, to harmonize this kind of economic environment for the provision of uh, international passenger services. Um, well, the aspect you're mentioning um, is, is quite... Um clear. I mean, you, you really have to think, um, divide between long distance services and more short term and regional services. Uh, clearly, regional services are not able to fund itself and they need a contribution um, by the state. Um, long distance services are mostly um, able to cover their costs. Um, if you look at a national aspect, now international long distance services um, are a bit more challenging from the economic point of view. So um, the, the aspect you mentioned, like track access charges, 
um, is, is something which really would help because each um, member state has, as you said, a different implementation all um, along the lines of a, the same recast. Um, but for example, in some countries um, like France and Italy, um, international track access charges are charged higher at the moment, mm -hmm. which is um, not really in favor of um, increasing ridership on trains. Mm -hmm. I don't know, Marco, uh, do you have any, uh, we, we've been discussing about the short-term uh, measures around COVID, maybe some final words around uh, medium long-term measures? Well, yeah, I think in the long-term really um, important is, as we just talked about, um, the fair level playing field, which needs to be looked at, um, because um, that is really something which hinders international um, long distance passenger services. One thing which could help would, would be, for example, uh, a European wide funding for interoperable rolling stock, which would be able to service um, three or more countries, because that's often the obstacle when procuring new train sets um, is implementing all the different um, systems I talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. um, and one really long term aspect is to see that infrastructure um, between different member states is improved so that we can get international links which work seamlessly and which we don't experience when traveling. So we started with investment and I think we are finishing our conversation again with, with investment. Mm -hmm. uh, Marco, thank you very much. I think it was, has been a very interesting conversation. So again, uh, thank you very much for you and, and Deutsche Bank to participate in this uh, podcast series. Thank you for having me. This was On the Right Track. Stay tuned for the next episode. Thank you.